you take your Bible and go to Matthew, or excuse me, to Mark chapter 8, let me ask you to think on this question for just a second. What is our biggest need as people? What is the biggest need that we as human beings have? So last week I read a book by David Platt, who is the former uh, president of the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. And in, the, in this book called Something Needs to Change, uh, David Platt re- recounts a trip he took to the Himalayas with some pastor buddies of his and, and a, a pastor who was working among the peoples in the, in the Himalayas. And uh, as they're hiking in these, uh, to, to these villages that are 15, 16, 17,000 feet above sea level, they, they encounter poverty unlike anything David had seen before. Now, David pastored in, uh, in Birmingham, Alabama. Now he, he served as uh, president of the International Mission Board. He's now pastoring in Washington, D.C. So, so he's encountered poverty. But he said what he encountered in the Himalayan mountains was a whole new experience. He said everywhere they went, there were people who were hungry. There were children who were dying because they couldn't get access to things that that we take for granted on a daily basis. Things like clean water. Things like aspirin. And he said that the needs were so great that, that, that he, he often stopped and, and, and paused and said, why aren't we doing something here? Why are we just you know, meeting with them, praying with them, and then, and then going on to the next village? And, and, and the, the pastor who is working there, he said, you have to understand, we are, we are working to address holistic problems. In other words, he said, we're not, we're not coming in sim- simply wanting to alleviate their physical suffering and make them a little more comfortable as they're still on the way to hell. See, these villages were filled with people who caught in, the, in Buddhism and in Hinduism, worshiping a myriad of gods. And so the, the concern of the missionaries was, yes, we, we want to meet physical needs, and we do that, but we do so in order that we might point them to a spiritual reality. We might meet their biggest need, which is to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You know, this year, and as, as we've talked extensively, um, th- this year's been a year. <laughs> one, one that I, I dare say none of us will ever forget. And, and maybe even one that when we hear 2020 from now on, like there'll just kind of be a pit in our, you know, just get that, feel, feel that, just kind of that sinking feeling in your stomach. Yes, I remember that year. Let's not talk about it. Can we move on? And so in, in the middle of the immediate needs that we see and, and maybe the immediate frustrations, it, it can be easy to lose sight of the main thing. It can be easy to lose sight of our biggest need. And what we're going to see this morning in Mark chapter 8 is Jesus focusing on the biggest need that his disciples had. By extension, the biggest need that we have. So here's our big idea for the morning. Our biggest need is to rightly understand who Jesus is. 
And that is that He's the Messiah who lays His life down for us. That's our biggest need. Now, that's not, not to say that's our only need. That's our biggest need. And if we rightly understand this, this reality will put everything else in focus in our lives. But if we miss this, it, if, if we're, we're honest, it doesn't really matter what else we focus on because we have missed the most important thing. You see, we, we've experienced all kinds of suffering in our world and in our nation this year. From COVID, which is still very much a, a reality and, and is going to be with us for a while, to the hurricanes that, that just absolutely devastated Louisiana, wildfires in California that have claimed over 30 lives and destroyed uh, hundreds of homes. We, 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 we've seen suffering. And so it can be easy for us to latch on and say, we need to be about um, <clears throat> meeting these needs and, and alleviating physical suffering. And yes, but if we do so while neglecting the main thing, we've missed the point. And we've simply made earth a little more comfortable place to go to hell from. So look with me at Mark chapter 8, beginning of verse 22. As we look at a need that Jesus met and then how he taught his disciples. Let's stand as we read the word the Lord's given to us this morning. They came to Bethsaida. And they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and brought him out of the village, spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him. He asked him, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking. Again, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes. The man looked intently and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Then he sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They answered him, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he strictly warned them to tell no one about it. Then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and rise after three days. He spoke openly about this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Father, this morning I pray that the last sentence that Jesus says in this passage would not be true of us, that we would be thinking about God's concerns. We would see people the way God sees them. We'd interact with them the way God interacts with them. And we would come to see Jesus the way God has presented him to us in Scripture. Show us this morning our greatest need. And then help us to follow after Jesus. We ask all these things in his precious name. 
Amen. Thank you so much. So we begin with an illustration. And that illustration happens as Jesus heals this blind man. And this is a unique healing in in the ministry of Jesus because he's not immediately healed. And so we we see that uh, Jesus and the disciples came came to Bethsaida. You remember last week he comes back into Jewish territory. So he's back on home turf, as it were. And all we're told is they brought a blind man to him. We don't know who they are. We don't know where they came from. We, we get the feeling that they came from a while, uh, from, from a ways off because at the end of this, this particular passage, Jesus tells them, don't go into the village. So he sent them, he sent them home, wherever home was. So, so they bring this blind man to Jesus. Took him by the hand, brought him out of the village, maybe to remove move him from the crowds to get alone with just he and his disciples and this man and he spit on his eyes so again Jesus is illustrating something he's he's casting out this this blindness spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him and he asked him do you see anything and at this point most of the time people are healed instantly he opens his eyes yes I see everything clearly but this time he doesn't he says I see people they look like trees Walking, and again Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes. The man looked intently, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. This is the only time in the Gospels that Jesus' healing is not immediate. It's the only time that it's, it's a progressive healing. Now, that's no accident. I think Jesus was trying to teach his disciples and us something about the spiritual reality of having eyes that have been blinded spiritually, opened. Sometimes, spiritual eyes are opened gradually. If, if you want to know what this looks like, look at the lives of the disciples. And, and immediately after this passage, we're going to see a, um, a, a situation with Peter where we see that his eyes are continuing to be opened. Their understanding, the disciples' understanding, and by the way, ours does not come immediately. It takes time. Now, while I think we would, we would all agree that in, in every life there is a time, there is a moment when, when someone makes that decision to place their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, If you look back to the time that you were saved, you did not immediately know everything there was to know about the spiritual life. You didn't didn't suddenly have like Bible verses downloaded into your brain. That's that's not how it works. We, We grow over time. We are shaped and molded into the image of Jesus over a lifetime. And sometimes maybe even that initial step takes time takes answering many questions. Maybe if you've ever been in a discussion with someone who's, who's wrestling with what it means to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you may find yourself answering the same questions over and over again. And in our flesh, it's really easy to get frustrated, right? Like, we, we talked about this. We've, we, we've, we've discussed this, and, and yet 
Sometimes it's all part of the journey to them coming to know Christ Jesus. So Jesus heals this man. We don't want to gloss over the fact that, that this man came to Jesus blind and left him being able to see. But, but in, at this point, that's not, that's not the point. The, the point is Jesus healed him trying to teach his disciples something. And then this, this spiritual reality is going to be exposed in their lives very quickly after this because immediately we see that there is a question that Jesus asks. Sends the man home. Don't even go to the village. You just go on home. And, and, and implied in that is and tell people at home what you've experienced. So then 27, Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? You get some interesting responses. None of them are correct. At this point, we see that, that obviously on their journeys, the disciples have heard a lot about what people think about Jesus. And so they answered him, John the Baptist. In fact, if you remember back in chapter 6, verse 14, Herod thought that Jesus was John the Baptist raised from the dead. And that kind of unnerved him because he was the one who had put John the Baptist to death. Had him beheaded. Had his head brought to him on a platter. And suddenly he hears these stories of Jesus and the most powerful person he's ever known is John the Baptist. So he immediately thinks, man, John the Baptist is raised back to life and I might be in trouble. So obviously there are some who've heard the stories and maybe they heard John preach and they see the similarities between Jesus and John, so they're, they say, well, Jesus must be John the Baptist raised to life. Some said that he was Elijah. Now, now the reason that that matters is because um, Isaiah uh, prophesied that, that Elijah would come back and would be uh, the forerunner to the Messiah. And so by saying that, that he's Elijah, they, they hear Jesus teaching, they, they hear the things that Jesus is saying, and, and they think, well, this sure sounds like someone who's preparing us for the kingdom of God, so maybe Jesus is Elijah, the one who's going to come to prepare our hearts for the Messiah. So, so we better be on the lookout, because Messiah just might be coming. In reality, the Scripture tells us, Jesus himself tells us that that, that, that precursor was John the Baptist, the John the Baptist was this Elijah figure who came to prepare the way. And remember, John the Baptist's message was simply repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He prepared the way and then he fades into the background once Jesus shows up. Or then, still others, the end of verse 28, one of the prophets. He was a good teacher teaching us really good things about the kingdom of God. By the way, this is, of, of these three, this is probably the one that we still hear the most. Oh man, Jesus, you know, man, great teacher. Well, what do you think about him being God? No, he wasn't God, but man, he, he, sure, he sure said some good things. Tell, tell me something that Jesus taught. Man, he said, don't judge. That's really, you know, I, I really like that. Most of the time, that, that, by the way, that covers up. You know what? I'm, I'm living in some ways that I know isn't right. 
Um, but Jesus said, don't judge. So, so you know, don't, you, you, can't, you can't say anything to me about how I'm living because Jesus said you're to love your neighbor and, and, and don't judge, right? Jesus is a good teacher. The problem is, is as C.S. Lewis famously said in, in his uh, kind of seminal work, Mere Christianity, you can't do that with Jesus. Because Jesus very clearly thought he was and, and, and taught others that he was God in the flesh. And we, we don't look at anybody who would come up today and say, uh, here, here's, here's some ways you need to live, and oh, by the way, I'm God. And we don't look at them and go, decent teacher. Right? I mean, think about the people in, our, in, in the last 50 years who've done that. Jim Jones, Jonestown? When's the last time you had somebody say, you know, he was a little off his rocker, but he made some good points. No. David Koresh and Branch Davidians in Waco? Man, he said some good things. No, we, we look at these men as absolute lunatics. We have to do the same thing with Jesus. If he wasn't who he said he was, then, then essentially we're left with two options. And that was, he was crazy. He, he thought he was God, but he wasn't. Or... He was a liar. He, he had a, he, or as C.S. Lewis would put, he was a devil. Because he knew he wasn't, and yet he said he was. We're not really given the option to, to say, you know, man, good, good moral teacher, not God, but he, man, he sure taught us some good things. And as, as C.S. Lewis puts in, in mere Christianity, we're, we're not left with that option. God, God did not see fit. He, he leaves no room for that option. And then he closes that sentence by saying, he did not intend to. It's not an option that's available to us. So, so here's the question, right? Who do people say I am? Disciples rattle off some answers. And then Jesus very intently focuses his attention on the disciples. But you. Who do you say I am? This is the question. The, the other responses are interesting to see what people are saying, but, but in the, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what anyone else says about Jesus. The question for us is this, who do you say that I am? Now really quickly, let me clarify that your response to that question doesn't change the reality of who Jesus is. Because in our society, in our culture, what you'll hear oftentimes is, you know what? If Jesus is God to you, then, then awesome. But he's not God to me. We, we can't have it both ways. Your, your opinion on a matter does not change the reality. Your, your opinion does not change facts. And so... In the end, what we believe about Jesus doesn't matter because it does not change the reality of him being God or not. I think we have pretty ample evidence in, in the Bible that Jesus was God in the flesh, that he was the promised Messiah. Staked my life on that claim, and, and I know many of you have as well. But in the end, the, the key question for us is not, well, what, what did 
mama or, or grandma or grandpa say. It's what do you say? What do you believe? And Peter steps up, answers, you are the Messiah. And then in the other Gospels, we have Jesus responding to him, blessed are you, Peter, because man has not revealed this to you, but God. I mean, in other words, yes, Peter, you get the right answer here, which is good because Peter didn't often get the right answer. He said a lot. He used a lot of words and didn't often say much in, in the early part of his life, if you know what I mean there. He, he, he sure liked to talk, whether he knew what he was talking about or not. But here, Jesus is like, yes, you get it. Isn't it interesting in verse 30? He strictly warned them to tell no one about him. We see that in a couple of places. And by, by the way, this is not an always and forever command. This is a command given specifically to the disciples for that specific moment because this had not yet been revealed to the whole world like it has now. It's also interesting that Jesus turns this question around on them because in, in Mark chapter 4, verse 41, verse 41, after Jesus calmed the storm, the disciples all looked at each other and they said, Who is this? Who is this that even commands the wind and the waves? And now Jesus turns that question back on them and, and says basically, well, who am I? You've seen all these things now. Who am I? What do you say? Peter responds. And so if the story ended here, like Peter's the hero, right? He gets carried out, I mean, like Rudy style on their shoulders. Yes, Peter, way to go. You made the right answer. Lead us all into what it means to, to follow Jesus. We'll sing just as I am, and we're out of here, right? It's, man, awesome day. It's not where it ends, though. So we've seen an illustration. We've seen Jesus opening spiritual eyes and, and how that's a process. We've seen the question, Jesus simply asking his disciples, all right, who, here, here's where the rubber meets the road. Who do you say I am? And now we have the mission. Jesus is about to tell his disciples the whole reason that he came. Verse 31, Then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and rise after three days. Now, this is, this is interesting. This comes after Peter's confession of him as the Messiah. You're the Messiah. Yes. Now let me tell you what that means. Essentially, Jesus is about to change their whole perception about what the Messiah is. Keep in mind, Jews, and at this point including the disciples, would have thought that the Messiah was a military political leader. So when, they, when, when Peter confesses Jesus is the Messiah and, and Jesus affirms that, they're probably thinking, all right, let's go, to, let's go march on Jerusalem. Let's go kick Herod out and Jesus can assume his proper place on the throne, or we can get our country back. We can get our identity back as God's people. That wasn't Jesus' mission. Now, the Bible tells us clearly there will come a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There, there will come a day where he makes his glory known 
as king once and for all, but that wasn't yet. Instead, he says that the Son of Man will suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, the scribes, be killed, and rise after three days. He spoke openly about this. Now, I think that's interesting, uh, which means it's, he's not trying to make this a secret. He's, he's telling people this is what's about to happen. And Peter, again, it's Peter, took him aside and, get this, began to rebuke him. No, Jesus, that's not how it's going to happen. That's, that's not what the Bible says now, Jesus. It says the Messiah is going to reign forever and ever on David's throne. Remember that? For, uh, government will be upon his shoulders. That's, that's, that's what the Bible says, Jesus. None of this suffering business. And, and maybe, maybe some of this is even Peter and the disciples going, you know what, if he's the leader and we've identified with him and he's about to be killed, we know what that means for us. So no, Mm-mm-mm. that's not how this is going to happen. But turning around, look at verse 33, turning around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Now, if Jesus calls you Satan, that's not your best day. Okay? You have missed something. If Jesus looks at you and says, get behind me, Satan. Now, now we might look at that and say, whoa. Like, that, that seems harsh, right? But, but keep in mind what Jesus has already experienced in, in the temptation in the desert. In Matthew chapter 4, Satan came to him and said, if you will just bow down to me, I will give you all of this. I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth. Which, by the way, remember, will be Jesus' anyway. The real temptation there, the, the, the way Satan framed that was for Jesus to get the crown without having to endure the cross. And what Peter is doing here is essentially the same thing. Jesus, no, you don't have to do that. The, the Old Testament declares you're going, to be, you're going to be the king. We can just go, we can march into Jerusalem. We can take over right now. You don't have to do this. You're kind of scaring everybody with all this talk of going to Jerusalem and being rejected and dying. That's, that, that, that's not going to inspire people to, lead, to, to follow you, Jesus. Peter's doing the same thing that Satan tried to do in Matthew chapter 4. It didn't work in Matthew 4 in the desert, and thankfully it didn't work here either. So Jesus turns around and looks at the disciples. In other words, Peter is probably just the mouthpiece for the disciples at this point. This is probably conversations they've had among themselves as they hear Jesus speaking openly about his coming suffering. And, uh, you know, maybe the disciples had a, had a business meeting and decided who was going to bring this up to Jesus and and Peter was the guy, so all right, Peter, you're the one. You know, you just you you confessed him as the Messiah, so now you know, let's 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 inform him about what it means to be Messiah. Peter goes and is the one who actually says the words, but you see Jesus looks at the disciples. In other words, he's calling them all out. He says, Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. In other words, what's happening here is their eyes are being opened slowly. Their spiritual eyes are being opened slowly to who 
Jesus is. They didn't get it right at first. Now, at, at this point, as they're about six months away from the crucifixion, they still don't get it. You know when it's finally going to click for the disciples? After Jesus is raised from the dead. When they see him in his glory, raised from the dead is when it finally clicks for them. They still have a lot to learn as they walk with Jesus over the next six months. So even though Peter's trusting in Jesus, even though the disciples are trusting in Jesus, they still don't quite understand what his mission is. And if we're honest, don't you see a lot of yourself in the disciples? I, I do. I see myself in there. Where we trust what we know, but maybe we're confused about what God is doing in and around us. So let me encourage you with this this morning. Maybe you look at the world around us and you say, I know God's at work, but I sure don't see how. The Bible tells me that God's in control of everything, and yet it sure does seem like chaos is running pretty rampant. All right, I, I, I'm, I'm wrestling to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. I've, I've been in church, I've been baptized, I've, I've, I've confessed Jesus is the Messiah, and yet I'm still wrestling with how that actually plays out in my day-to-day -day life. Let, let, me, let me encourage you with these words from Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. Yes, 1 Corinthians 13 is usually known as the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind. We rip that out of context all the time because it's written to a church. So he's talking about how love inside a church family is patient and kind and how we're to live together as brothers and sisters in Christ. But that's a whole other sermon. But at the end of that chapter, he says this, and, and this is such a comfort to me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Now, if you think a mirror in the first century, don't, don't think like a, like a crystal clear piece of glass that, that gives you a really good representation of what you're looking like. Think like a, kind of a, a, a piece of metal where you can kind of see what's going on, but it's not a real clear picture. It's not, it's not an HD image of yourself. said, so we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Some, some translations will put, we see dimly. But then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I'm fully known. So we, we continue to walk through these, this Christian life, trusting in Jesus so much as we can with what he's revealed about himself, with the knowledge that we have. And we, we grow in that through the Bible. We grow in that through prayer, spending time with him. We grow in that through local body of believers, being around other people who are also on this journey. But, but understand, it's a journey. It's a gradual opening of our spiritual eyes as we come to know Christ Jesus. It's a process. And when we look at how Jesus responds to the disciples who it seems, uh, tend to be dull, well past the point they should have been dull. Notice that even as he gets frustrated with them, it certainly in, in, in his human side, he became frustrated with the disciples. He never kicked them out. He never got rid of them. He patiently taught them, revealed more of his self to them. 
So if you're struggling to believe and feeling stuck, don't, don't worry. God's not kicking you out. Continue pressing into his word. Continue pressing in to his body. After all, our biggest need is to rightly understand who Jesus is. The Messiah who lays down his life for us. So believer, stay diligent. Keep following. Keep trusting. Even, even, even on those days where you wake up and you say, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know how God is still in control with everything that we're seeing. Keep, keep trusting. Because I believe one of these days we're going to look back and it'll become crystal clear to us how God was at work in the middle of the pandemic. In the middle of this year that we're never going to forget, God's at work. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior. Let me encourage you. That, let, me, let me ask you this, the same question that Jesus asked the disciples. Who do you say he is? What are, you, what are you going to believe about him? You're going to keep on believing, well, he was a, he was a decent teacher, good, good, good guy to follow? You're going to surrender your life to him and say, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, Savior of the world. I, I'm giving everything I have to him. If you're here and you've never done that before, every, every Sunday we put this prayer up on the screen, and as I say every Sunday, it's no, there aren't magic words, there's no magic formula, no spiritual pixie dust, it's just some words to help you frame what asking Jesus to be your Savior looks like. It's simply this, Lord Jesus, my life is broken. I realize it's because of my sin. I need you. I believe Christ came to live, die, and was raised from the dead to rescue me from my sin, to forgive me, I turn from my selfish ways and put my trust in you. I know that Jesus is Lord of all and I will follow him. Just a few moments, we're going to stand. Maybe, maybe you need to come and say, I need to uh, pray that prayer for the first time. I trusted in Jesus this morning. Maybe like Jessica, you need to say, you know, I've, I've been a believer in Christ for a while. I've been a follower, but I've never taken that first step to follow through in believer's baptism. Maybe today's the day you need to put that date on the calendar and we can move forward with baptism. Maybe you just need to come and confess that you're struggling to believe and ask the Lord to strengthen you. Ask Him to guide you in these very uncertain days. However the Lord's leading you, respond. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this morning. We thank You for the opportunity to gather together and to worship and pray that You will Move in hearts this morning. That each of us would answer that question, who, who do we say, who do I say Jesus is? That you continue to open our spiritual eyes as we come to know more and more of who you are. Pray you would lead us as your people to trust you deeper and deeper each and every day. We ask all these things 
In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.